broadcasting live from the alabaster carriage of the spirit of the west this is pop culture reference your one-stop reference for all things pop culture i'm your host seamus Connolly. i'm garrett strother hi hello what's going on i'm, I'm, I'm ricardo hi i really thought he was gonna go names rango names rango <laughs> durango god i i almost want to jump right into rango because that movie's great. We got a, we got oh, a th- we few things of news, but other than that... So, first of all, they recently announced that Tina Fey is adapting the Mean Girls musical on Broadway into a Mean Girls musical movie. Oh. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't know about that, if I'm being honest. It's just a weird concept of, like, a movie and then a musical... And then a movie of the musical of the movie. The Broadway equivalent of moving back in with your parents. Yeah, good lord. I don't know, man. I feel like it might have a little bit of the same fate that... What was it? It was the Heathers show. It's just like reviving beloved... Well, no, this one is made by the same person and it's still a musical. No, I, I suppose that's fair. If like, I haven't really heard anything about the stage musical, if I'm being People honest. People really like it. It's in Chicago right now. I love that movie. Like... If you meet anybody who says they don't like Mean Girls, they're lying to you, man. That movie's just great. We should do a musical on this show sometime. We should do, like, Into the Woods or something. I'd love, like, like going to a musical or, like, watching the movie. Either would be Both. fine with me. Well, I mean, I Both don't think it would be pretty same great. time. When I say <laughs> Into the Woods, what I mean is the original Broadway cast recording and not, and musical not the movie. <laughs> I wouldn't musical mind Musical Month. Month. We could hit a lot of fun stuff. I, you know... West Side Story is a classic. I've I've never actually seen The Sound of Music. Is the cast going to be the cast from the I have show? no idea. I'm trying to think of another time that it. this yeah, has right? happened where there's been a movie that's been adapted into a musical that's been adapted back into a movie. The producers. That's exactly what it is. It, and that didn't go very well. Did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> it, it made me... It makes me think of The Prince of Persia. It was like a book, then it was a video game, then it was a movie, then they made a video game of the movie adaption. I don't know the actual specifics, I just know that thing kind of goes around a lot. I don't know. This is what the Heathers reboot should have been. Should have just been a movie version of the musical. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'm just scared because of how poorly that show did. I was not even aware there was a Heathers show. Yeah, they canceled it after like two episodes. I saw the trailer. I think I watched the trailer with you, Ricardo, and I was like welling up. It was like upsetting to watch. It was bad. To it was it was pretty awful. I know the Heather's musical is supposed to be really good, but I also think Heather's is just a movie or a concept that does not work well in the current environment. Definitely, if you work it, it could be like it could have perfect for this environment. But I mean. Also, I think I get what you're saying. Like, I watched it for the first time only a couple of years ago, and it is about the disturbed trench coat wearing high schooler yeah. who executes popular kids in his school. It's I don't know, man. It's pretty yeah. upsettingly prescient. Yeah, I think so. I uh, but I mean, like they still pulled the trigger on the series. I don't. Oh, did they pull the trigger on it, Shamus? <gasps> okay, so next piece of news <laughs> is the. Uh... Oh boy. The next piece of news <laughs> is the fact that. All the Chinese New Year big releases in China have been delayed because of the outbreak going on in China right now. They're trying to, like, isolate basically as much of 
the spreading as they can. And this is a huge deal because in China, Chinese New Year, that's the weekend all the big movies come out. So that's basically like 4th of July weekend or Christmas, just no movies come out in the U.S. That's billions of dollars, truly billions of dollars. Yeah, and I I, I think I, I read or I saw a headline somewhere that said, I think it's all 70 or 90,000 uh, movie theaters in China or in the affected areas are like completely shut down. All thanks to this. I I don't know. It, it, it freaks me out a little bit. We were talking about uh, it a little bit before we started recording, but this whole coronavirus thing, it, it might, you know, bleed a little more into seriousness than, like, them definitely losing out on all their movie money. Oh, I think it already has, but I this is just the entertainment yeah. impact of it. All right, and our last bit of news is they recently announced that Netflix Films' Marriage Story... And The Irishman will be getting Criterion releases later this year. Which I think this is a really great business model for Criterion and Netflix to partner about. Because it allows Netflix to release more popular titles that people will buy. Which will help fund them releasing less popular titles. And it gives Netflix movies a chance to have a physical release that will actually be meaningful and competently put together. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't really sure about the like how you actually get on the list of for the Criterion Collection, and I haven't seen The Irishman yet. That's kind of like a daunting task that I've been putting off for for a while now. I've I've heard it's good. Uh, I've seen Marriage Story, which I I enjoyed, didn't love it, but I don't know. It kind of wigs me out a little bit. I'm I'm not against it per se. It just it feels a little weird that they're so recent and. I assume this is the first time a streaming service has gotten onto the Criterion Collection. Roma, which is another oh, Netflix is that original. The first time? Um, and also, I think actually the first time was Cold War, Cold which War. was an Amazon original. It's very good. Oh, it's huh. very sad. Oh, well. Okay, then. It's the same guy who directed Ida, which was a okay. Polish movie that came out five or six years ago. I vaguely remember that one. Cold War is very good, but it is also heart-wrenching. I just started my personal Criterion Collection, if you will. Eventually, I'd, I'd like to get as many of them as I can. One day, maybe all of them. That's kind of a pipe dream. But uh, I don't know. Maybe this will be an interesting way to see The Irishman for the first time. Would just be to wait till it's released, get it with the nice packaging, all the extra features, really get the full experience. Well, all the films I just the four films we just talked about: The Irishman, Roma, Marriage Story, and Cold War are all films that I think deserve to be released on Criterion, to be honest. Like, I think those are really good, big films that have artistic depth to them. I mean, The Rock is on Criterion, so if mm, The Rock yeah. is on Criterion. I also wish that they would do a Buster Scruggs release. Ooh, that'd be another movie I have not seen. It's not my favorite. I'm a really big Cohen head. I think it's a fine movie, but I think it would be really interesting to see what Criterion could do with it. Ricardo, where do you fall on the Criterion stuff? Do you ha- have any yourself? I don't own any. I don't think so. Does that interest you at all? Would Would you like? I know you. I think you've seen Marriage Story. Would you buy the Criterion <laughs> Marriage Story? Actually, I haven't seen Marriage Story. I like packaging, so okay. I'm I'm on board with Criterion because they do good releases of stuff. But. Ricardo, have you ever taken a look uh, up on my shelf right there? There's the Princess Bride Criterion, which is a storybook. Like, it has storybook binding, and then instead of the normal booklet that comes with a Criterion release, it's just pages of the storybook. 
And then in the back of the book, there's the disc. Stuff like that. That's what I like. Yeah, I, I j- actually just got that exact same uh, Princess Bride criterion for uh, Christmas this year, and it's awesome. I, it's it's dope. Well, you know what? We should we should watch the Criterion Princess Bride, and we'll do a we'll do an episode right on now, that. ladies and gentlemen. We lied. We're doing Princess With, Bride. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Elways, <laughs> or however you say his last name. He He's, was just at. He was at your, the Riverside. Yeah, right? he was just here. Were you there? Were you working that show? Did Ricardo? you run into him? I did not. I was up in the the balcony. Oh. I did get to see snippets of it. I would say that this definitively means that we are done talking about news. Yeah, I think so. I think we should. So let's jump into our main segment, Ringo. Now I'm trying to remember how that mariachi owl song goes at the beginning. Ringo. God, it's so good. Did you guys see this in theaters when it came out? Yes. I did not. Dude, you missed out. <laughs> I, I remember loving it as a kid, especially... It's very definitely not a kid's movie. Yeah, it's pretty dirty. Yeah, I was pretty surprised because I hadn't seen it since it came out in 2011. I, I saw it once in the theaters, and then I saw it once when it came out on Blu-ray. And it is very adult humor. A lot of characters die. Explosions. A lot of them die guns. horrifically. Yeah. No kidding. Many crushings to death, which isn't usually the way, the the nice, clean way you go. Also, watching this movie, there were many things that I would have thought, oh, this is Mad Max Fury Road, except yeah. Mad Max Fury Road came out four years after this movie did. You're a hack, Max Rakatowski. <laughs> I, I... Rakatansky? What? Is that how you say it? I'm I'm a fake fan. There's a great it's a great cold open with the mariachi owls and then the stuff where he's in the tank where he's like kind of stretching his acting lizard legs where he's losing his mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I really love what it that. Is. Just like the isolation cube where he's got like his headless doll and his goldfish. The oh. goldfish was weirdly promoted in all of the marketing yeah. material. Yeah, it was like he was always like on the poster <laughs> under his arm or... clutching it. On the Wii game, it's on the cover of the Wii game. There was a Wii game tie-in for this movie? And a PS3 game. What? Yeah. They think Red Dead, but with lizards. I was gonna say, is it like, do you go into shootouts as a lizard? Like, I didn't kill own people? the Wii game, but they always oh. had it at the library. <laughs> oh, of course they did. Of course they did. Oh, man. Yeah. This, it kind of goes, you know, zero to a hundred pretty, pretty quick with that, uh slow-mo wait was that first one slow-mo where he gets thrown out of his car yeah he gets slow-mo thrown out of the car and then tossed around on the highway and then our first horrific incident yeah is a armadillo whose middle is just yeah. flattened <laughs> just run completely in half i was a child when i first saw this movie so for a time i was like oh armadillos can just do that i guess <laughs> yeah armadillos are uh immortal like teddy roosevelt at the end of Night at the Museum. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, who voiced Beans? Great character name. And great explanation. Uh, is it Isla or Isla? It's Isla Fisher. Isla yeah. Fisher. Yeah. What was the explanation? It's just like, my daddy loved some baked beans. So <laughs> that probably made me laugh a lot as a kid, if I'm being honest. I probably thought that well, was Just that her name was genius. Beans. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Come on. So yeah, the basic plot of the movie is, it's a western you know, it's a lizard who has been... a chameleon. He's a chameleon. But they always call him a lizard. I was going to say, does he ever chameleon? A yeah. little bit, yeah. A couple of times. Well, When he's, like, trying to be a rock. When he's, like... Oh, that's the... right. Yeah, yeah, And but... then when he's hiding the vending machine. Right. You got it. You're right. You're right. 
but he's a sheltered, lonely chameleon that gets stranded out in the Nevada desert and stumbles upon a town that's running out of water. The town of dirt. The town of dirt. That probably also made me laugh too. Just simple BS naming stuff like that. It's probably just like that's that's pretty damn funny. I am shocked at how well this movie held up. I because I was thirteen when this movie came out and I had not seen it since then. And I was super impressed by how quickly paced the humor is. Oh yeah. How mm. gorgeous the animation is and that's partially to do with the fact that they're cinematography consultant, so they don't have DPs on animated movies, but they brought in Roger Deakins to consult. I'm kidding. Yeah. The big man. The big, the, I was say. The only DP that you know the name of, Shavis. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, I mean, it definitely, it shows. This movie's amazing looking. Like, it looks, like, pretty photorealistic at a lot of points, with, like, the water and the smoke from, like... Like, you know, guns and cigars and stuff. It's and a beautiful movie. It's also incredibly ugly. Oh, yeah. It's like Every single character but sharp. is mangled and just covered in dirt. And Lumpy, horned, dirty, everyone. A lot of them, you can't even tell what animal they are. It's because just, they're so dirty. It's just dramatic. a mass of flesh and feathers. Like and hair, somewhere in there, there's a beak. Mud. But the fact that ten years on, it still looks so good like if you told me that movie came out right now i would 100 percent believe you i'm especially a big fan of the rabbit that's missing an ear <laughs> yeah that is totally. the doctor played by steven root who is clearly an homage to the doctor that thomas mitchell plays in stagecoach the alcoholic doctor from stagecoach thomas mitchell being uncle billy from it's a wonderful life i don't think i've seen, seen stagecoach and i don't like it's a wonderful life stagecoach is Really good and really racist. Oh <laughs> my god. <no. laughs> Is it a cowboy movie? It's a cowboy movie, yeah. It's John Jeez. Wayne. It's one of John Wayne's like first big roles. He's really young. Okay. And it's a group of ragtag travelers all in the same stagecoach. Adventure ensues, but a lot of it has to do with just massacring Native Americans. Just Oh no. That's not the only John Wayne movie where that's a very, very <laughs> prominent point. Two of the best John Wayne movies are Stagecoach and The Searchers. Yeah, and The Searchers is the one I've seen and that doesn't do any kindness to the to the Native American community either. No. They're both very good movies, but they are of their time. Yeah, jeez Louise. But that Stephen Root yeah, right. rabbit doctor is clearly a... Like, he even looks like the Thomas Mitchell alcoholic doctor from State Coach. Man, and there's no racism undertones in this cowboy movie, right? <laughs> Weirdly, it's... no, other than the crow. Yeah, he's right, the only he... one. Oh, yeah, they call him... I think they call him an Indian at they one point. They call him an Indian. But, like, they're... Yeah, I think that's the they biggest... They all get along, at yeah. least, but there is still very... They just use some lingo. There is residue of the racist tropes of old westerns, of John Ford westerns. Yeah. That is definitely in this movie. I mean, obviously, this movie is all inspired by westerns. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Well, the whole Man With No Name trilogy. Yeah. Uh, all the John Ford westerns. Raising Arizona, weirdly enough, <laughs> 100% is referenced in this movie. Also, a little fear off. and loathing. Well, yeah, they, they have Hunter S. Thompson in the movie. Yeah, and there's like the the overarching plot is also I got a lot of Chinatown, like the whole water stuff, 100%. dumping it in the desert, yeah. using it as like a control thing. It was very very Chinatown to me. Yeah, it's I'm surprised very, they very didn't. Chinatown. I'm surprised they didn't throw a little more of that in there. 
Forget it, Ringo. It's, it's dirt. dirt. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Cut cut his nose or something. I don't know. He doesn't have a nose. Well, never mind that. <laughs> He's got little nose holes. They could do something. No, but there's a lot of references in this movie. And tr- again, like, just so much of it felt like Mad Max Fury Road. I do think there is an intentional, like, Road Warrior reference in the movie. Is there? When they are in the canyon chase with the moles. I think there are a couple of shots in there that are very clearly inspired by the Road Warrior, the way the Road Warrior is shot. Yeah, I can see that. Just very, very those, dusty uh, chase. The bat bit. That felt very Road Warrior. Just like coming out of like a Morton Joe's big cave thing. Well, that's Fury Road. Or yeah, even, yeah, even the earlier ones with... Uh, am I misremembering? They had like weird gliders at one yeah, point. Yeah, Road in, Warrior uh, is... Thunderdome, all... maybe? Well... In Road Warrior, they have a guy that has a weird, like, pedal helicopter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the helicopter guy. Love that guy. He comes back in Thunderdome as a completely as different a completely character. character. Which makes... Oh, it, it's it's a different character, but he's also, also an aerial pilot. Yeah, oh it's, it's a really kind weird... of stupid. Like we just don't talk about Thunderdome. I was going to say, I think you said it before, here. like, you, we don't talk about the second half of Thunderdome when things get, like, really stupid. When it turns into Hook. But back to Rango. Yeah, yeah was... sorry about that. <laughs> Divergence into Mad Max. Hey, we got there naturally. Um, yeah, I even, you know, it makes me think about Fury Road still. Just the collapse in the canyon in the chase of, like, the big uh, stone cliff pillar. Another crushing to death at that point as well. Very, very intense stuff. One of the biggest things I noticed, I'm sure I noticed as a kid, but I probably didn't appreciate it as much, all the little, like, mutterings that Rango does when he's talking, where he'll just, like, talk super fast, and he'll say, like, three things in a row that are obviously direct references to other things, and it's very easy to miss those, but uh, I watched it with subtitles this last time, and I, I caught a lot of those fun ones. I like that Rango's kind of a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just, like, that, that point where he looks in the mirror at the bar, and he's like, I can be whoever I want to be. It kind of, it could have gone a lot of different ways. The whole, yeah, he's got, like, an acting problem, almost. He's stuck in that mode. Where he just keeps digging himself deeper and deeper and deeper. But, you know, hey, it works in the end. Sitcom rules. You fake it until everyone in the town loves <laughs> you anyway, and then whatever. It doesn't matter when you reveal your truth. It's weird how much of this movie is spent on his relationship with Beans, but then there's really no fallout from when she discovers the truth about him. Yeah, I mean, by the time all this the secret stuff is getting revealed, I feel like it's uh, you know you got your rattlesnake Jake and your you got your water thing. Like by the time everything is revealed, a lot of stuff is already in motion, and they can't really sit down and have that chat. So there's two points of conflict going on throughout the whole story. There is Rango pretending to be this great gunslinger and becoming the sheriff of the town and having to fake his way as the sheriff of the town. And there is the water shortage in the town of Dirt that is clearly being manipulated by the authorities that play. Yeah, the the man, the, mm-hmm. the people with the upper hand. Immortan Joe, if you will. Immortan Joe, perhaps. Wow. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah, we All right, we can't go back to Mad Max again. I was about to delve right back in. But it, uh, Morton Joe, if he was a toidle. Yeah, kind of. The turtle was voiced by... Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty, who is also... Lotso Huggin' Bear. Yes, okay. Because <laughs> I also thought Lotso Huggin' Bear sounded like John Goodman the first time I saw Toy Story 3, and that's what I thought about the turtle this time. I knew it wasn't him, it was just slightly off, but yeah. No, this movie has 
an outstanding cast. Oh yeah, totally. All everything is on point with the voice acting. Johnny Depp is good, and I am usually incredibly annoyed Johnny Depp in everything, beside the fact that he's a terrible person. And then uh, Isla yeah, Fisher's mind, really mind. funny. Abigail Breslin as the little mole girl. Oh yeah, she's, funny. she's great. Or what is she? She's not a mole, but like yeah, she's isn't she a mole? No, it, because she's got those huge eyes. I forget the name of that animal, but it's, it's a little burrowing thing. She's just um, she's just Kim Darby's character from True Grit. Yeah, oh yeah, it took me a second there. I, it's been or a while since I saw from the new True Grit. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen them both a long time ago. But yeah, that's exactly who she is. But just like a little more nihilistic. I guess she's yeah. pretty dark. She's like, when you die, I'm gonna take your clothes. Very shit. funny. Very good deadpan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. And then of course Ned Beatty. Bill Nye as Rattlesnake Jake. Yes. I knew I recognized that voice, too. Stephen Root. Which, how cool is Rattlesnake Jake? He's got to be one of the most. He's super cool. He's so well designed. Oh, yeah, with his Gatling gun rattlesnake tail and his his pencil-thin scale mustache (laughs) on his snake face. Again, very Lee Van Cleef. Exactly, yeah. Damn, I really want to watch those... Man with no name movies now. Well, I guess I got that inspiration when, you know, Rango does inevitably make it out into some other stuff but uh i don't know if we're just are we just throwing everything in here we, i we've think talked so about i think enough we've where, talked about the entire plot pretty you know much, what so. if you haven't seen rango and you care that much about it why are you <laughs> listening to this episode so just make no, sure you see Shavis, it why are they listening to this segment skip ahead to our pop culture reference time codes in the description folks oh thank you so much co-host <laughs> and producer super producer garrett as well there, there's a whole running thing when he meets the armadillo at the beginning there's the stuff about the spirit of the west how he's got an alabaster carriage as you might recognize from our intro and uh and golden, golden guardians yep. or something that that protect him once we eventually get that reveal of rango's like i guess his vision quest where he's getting all his yeah. like trippy visuals and like where the roly polies like carry him off of the road where he yeah. was and going where, to die? Were those like weird plant things that I forget what they're called? The walking cactus. Yes, the walking cactus. I knew it was something walking. Where they're like marching towards like the ultimate thing. It, it is Timothy Oliphant. Yes, that, Timothy mm-hmm. Oliphant doing a Clint Eastwood impression. Doing a Clint Eastwood impression of the Spear of the West where the alabaster carriage is a uh, golf cart and the Golden Guardians are... Oscars. Presumably Oscars. <laughs> they're like a little different so I guess they don't get sued by the Academy... And uh, it's just, it's a very... Clint Eastwood's five Oscars. Yes. Do you know what those Oscars are for off the top of your head? I can look it up for you. You look it up while I continue on this. It's a very wrinkly and very accurate (laughs) version of what the man with no name Clint Eastwood would look like. just as gross as all the other animals. Yeah, he... (laughs) He does look just as gross as all the other animals. He's like... It is a Clint Eastwood design from... You know, his role as the man with no name, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and the like, and... Oh, yeah, he's got the poncho, he's the, got... The hat. It is a great impression, vocally, by Timothy Oliphant, who we bring up on this podcast more than I thought we would originally, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it's because he's perfect. He is pretty great. God bless I would him. love to do a Justified podcast. Tim, if, Tim, if, if you're, you're listening, out there. Oh, you beat me, too. <laughs> We're both doing the same bit. I would love to do start doing a little Justified, maybe sprinkle that in when we have some uh, mid-season breaks of any We're whatever We're never show. going to have any break ever again. Yeah, I know, but a man can dream. <laughs> 
all those Marvel shows coming out. Yeah, after Good Place, I don't know when the Marvel shows come out. Figus. I was fairly certain that Clint Eastwood had won five Oscars as there were five Oscars in his, his golf cart. Yeah. But I'm only seeing that he won four. He's hmm. won Best Picture, Million Dollar Baby. Best Director, Million Dollar Baby. Best Picture, Unforgiven. Best Director, Unforgiven. Oh, he's also won the Irving Thalberg Memorial Award, which is technically an Oscar. So he's won five, but Let's, one of yeah, them is technically what, did Rango won an Oscar? Let's count Rango. Rango won Best Animated Feature. Did it really? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Deservedly so. I was, I was going to say... It, yeah. It's been so long since I've seen this, but it should be up there in the ranks of, like, animated classics for sure. This movie is incredibly underrated, I think. I think that's a fact. It's it's so... It feels like a full-fledged Western, you know? They don't really cut corners on any of the tropes that are necessary for you to feel comfortable in that genre. But it still sends it up. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. and it's not like it being animated. It's not like a kiddified version yeah. of what a Western would be. It's still... Like we said, very gross and violent. The rabbit and... that works at the bank drowns. Like yeah, he's they just, drown him. They find him dead <laughs> in just in the desert. Yeah, that's pretty dark stuff. Multiple crushings, a drowning, and there was another one that was like, oh, the mayor at the end <laughs> gets abducted by, by Rattlesnake Jake yeah. to presumably be just massacred somewhere else. A fly drinks some cactus juice, from which Rango <laughs> derives his name, and the fly explodes, its eyeballs pop out, and they fizzle like eggs. That stuff is, like, poison or whatever. It made me think of uh, Wake Up Juice from Back to the Future 3. It's been a while. You're gonna, I assume it's just whiskey at a saloon in Back to the Future well, 3? In Back to the Future 3, Doc doesn't drink, and he has one shot and immediately passes out. <laughs> okay. And yeah, yeah, when Doc so and Marty need to get to the train at the end, and Doc won't wake up, the bartender makes what he calls wake up juice, which is just presumably a horrific concoction <laughs> yeah. of different alcohol, like strong alcohols, that makes Doc immediately burst up and throw his head into a horse trough. Oh yeah, I do remember that. There's a lot of Back to the Future three in this movie, and I think not only like they're both sending up the same western stuff. But also, even when Rango walks through town going, Jake, I'm calling you out, is a lot like Marty walking through calling out Mad Dog Tannen. Uh, also, even in just the, the vibes of, like, trying to fit in, you know, old western town where you yourself are very much not from that time and place. Also very Doc Hollywood, another Michael J. Fox movie. It's just cars, yeah. but with people. <laughs> that sounds like stupid. Like the exact plot of Cars. Is he a race car driver? No, he's, he's a doctor. He, yeah. He's a doctor who ends up in a small town, okay. and then the plot of Cars happens. Oh my God. And then the rest of the plot of Cars happens. Wow, that doctor really becomes a race car driver. Huh? That's, <laughs> that's wild. What year did this come out? Yeah, Michael J. Fox has to fight Michael Keaton. <laughs> oh my God. We should really watch Back Cars? to the Future. We should really Three watch trilogy. Back to the Future. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're... Great. There's no way that we're gonna have to like wait on those to yeah, eventually. Yeah, because they'll do never reboot one. them because Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis will not let it happen. Good. Good. Yeah. Jeez. Have you guys played the Telltale game? Yes. I think we might have. I might have rec centered. Oh yes, a you did early, Coming early next yeah. week. Our play by play of the Back to the Future game. Honestly, it's it. What is it? It's a five episode. Yeah, it's a five season. episode Telltale game. You 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 take out an episode in like an hour and a half. 
two hours maybe if you really explore it and then i mean i wouldn't hate replaying those if i'm being honest they leave it on a cliffhanger and i've always wanted them to go back because i don't they want do? kind of like how the first back to the future right, yeah. off on another adventure i don't want any more back to the future movies i don't want a reboot i don't want anything i do want infinite telltale games well you know they went bankrupt of course yes but of course they're back Yes. They got rebought and they're coming back. I, Rango, I'm not even sure. The Telltale game. Rango, I would play Rango the Telltale game. I would play if they made like a legitimate like westernized man with no name style Telltale game. Just like make it straight westerns. I'd play that. I think that definitely The Walking Dead has overtones of that. Yeah, I think so too. We should get the. I'm sure the Rango game is dirt cheap at GameStop. We <laughs> yeah, should just probably. go grab it. I've got a Wii and a PlayStation right here. We'll play them both at the same time. Hey, <laughs> Rockstar, better. where's my Rango DLC for Red Dead for Red Two? Dead 2? You cowards! It's like the it's like the zombie one from the original, but everyone's gross animals this time instead. <laughs> Ricardo, when we're talking about Western stuff, we call them yellow bellied. Yeah, not cowards. Come on, we have like more than one awesome like showdowns in oh, this movie yeah well we haven't even talked about the hawk oh yeah so at the beginning of the movie when ringo's walking through the desert a hawk has spied him we get an incredible chase sequence where oh, ringo yeah. is trying to avoid the hawk by hiding in a bottle and um hiding in a vending machine and trying to disguise himself as a rock the stuff where he goes into like a glass like soda bottle and is running on it like almost like a hamster wheel mm-hmm. you know he gets thwarted of course because this hawk has like smarts and a iron beak for some reason do you guys know that's that? so Real cool it's pretty badass I'll be it's all honest. engraved and everything yeah between the hawk chase and the rattlesnake jake showdown well there's also a hawk showdown between those two. Oh yeah and then the hawk, the hawk showdown shows up at the town and rango takes care of it accidentally by crushing it with the water tower yeah yeah see it's big old bird legs stuck up in the sky yeah, we're gonna cook that up something good. The whole town's like, yeah, we're gonna eat that bird. <laughs> but the problem is that now that the hawk is dead, Rattlesnake Jake can come back. Oh yeah, the whole thing was that he was afraid to rough up the town because he was afraid of the hawk. But now the hawk's gone. But old Rango, that all, that was one of my other favorite parts. When he's in the saloon and he's doing like the fly thing and he's like yeah. explaining out who Rango is. And telling his story about how he killed those brothers. Yeah, with, killed seven, seven brothers, brothers with, with one, one bullet. bullet. The last brother, he died of an infection. And then everyone's like, yeah, he died of an infection. <laughs> oh, that's... Uh, I, I very much do like his like facade. It's very uh, fake actory feeling and that's how it's supposed to feel. But then... For it to be working with all these gross animal townsfolk also adds, like, a lot of funny moments. It works so well. That, like, everything yeah. about this movie works so well. And it avoids a lot of the annoyance that I have with this trope of, like, the imposter. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, you're talking about. it doesn't draw out the, is he going to get caught too much? It's more of, like, a straightforward adventure. And then he gets, he certainly gets punished for lying. But it doesn't do the whole, like emotional fallout with beans that would have happened from a lesser screenplay mm. and stuff like that like i'm really impressed with its ability to utilize the trope to its advantage without making me annoyed by the things that normally annoy me with that trope i i liked the character of beans a lot just on her own too because there there's little snippets of i don't know if there's like an actual trope word for it in movies but like the strong frontier woman who's, like, not getting manhandled by the, the authority. Every single Western. 
Yeah, yeah that's what I'm that saying. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it like has a formal name or not. The Mandalorian but... also has that character. When the stranger shows up to the town, there's always a widow. Oh, oh in yeah. this case, yeah, it's yeah, her yeah. father that's died. That's that right. like is the only one who's like she knows how to shoot a gun and she doesn't take any crap. And in the Mandalorian episode, wh- where they introduce Kara with the yeah. ATST. Yeah, definitely. And that that I... she's the only one that knows how to shoot. And she, you know, she felt a little sadder to me for some reason. I guess it's you know that's just kind of what that character is. But I like that fun stuff with the like freezing up. They use that a lot. Was it? They just call it like a defense mechanism where she yeah. completely yeah. freezes. And does that pay off in any way? Yeah, that that pays off when they get thrown into the water tank at the bank, right? Right. Where they she panics and then accidentally swallows the bullet that Rango had in his mouth when she kisses him. Yeah. And then she's not you know conscious to spit it out, so he has to Heimlich her. And which that <laughs> propels the bullet in the water to break the glass. Sure. Yeah, why not? It's animal cowboys. They all have guns for some <laughs> reason. I'll let it. I'll let it slide. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That there's there's a little bit of that where I, I was noticing some stuff where I was just like, the world doesn't quite make sense. This is a stupid point I'm gonna make. They all have guns, and then they also have like. But also, their town is built out of like boxes and jugs, like but, human stuff. Yeah. And then they have. But the turtles building a human golf. Course? No, or the, is that like the turtle ad? is gonna like. Uh, no, he's building a miniature Las Vegas. Yeah, for... he's got like a Scooby Doo villain thing about like property and how he needs to like buy everybody out of their property to make. Because yeah, doesn't he? He's Rango building... stumbles upon Las the Vegas. real yeah. human Las Vegas where he like finds it's like the Oasis vision. Which I know they don't go down to this to the strip or anything, but I'm shocked that they didn't do. Is it the Golden Nugget where they have the famous neon cowboy? Oh, that would have been right up this movie's alley. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were... Yeah, I don't know. Because you see the Luxor and you see the Stratosphere and you see Well, whatever. like, it's all from a distance yeah. and in the daytime, so it's very much not the iconic, like, shots of Las Vegas that you would know. Yeah. it's it's There's a lot of weird, interesting stuff in this movie between the, the plot for the land and the... There's the family... The family that they originally think robs the bank. They are the what mole kind family. of animal? Oh, okay, yes, yes. Backwoods yes. hills have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the second time we brought up the hills have eyes. Mole. That mole dad, his face, it's disgusting. I hate yeah, looking I mean, at it. Like his, his eyes are like covered in a dirty bandage, and he's got like a dangly long nose that's real gross to look at. Oh, that was a great scene. I like the... Them rising out of the dirt like zombies. Yeah, and they have that, like, really grotesque chant about, like, eating bones and flesh, and they're, like, walking towards them. (laughs) The scene where they all come out of the dirt like zombies made me think a lot about Toy Story, like the first Toy Story, when the army men come out. Oh, yeah, that's another point in the movie. During that chase with the Mole family, when they have the Gatling guns on the bats, I was just like, how is this... (laughs) What are the rules here? Just, wait, Who's making I? these bullets? Well, oh yeah, the, the thing that's so weird is at the campfire scene they're eating, they're all eat, sharing one big bean, but then they also all have tiny little marshmallows. <laughs> yeah, what's the rule? I was gonna talk about um, like they're like I can suspend the thing for like the guns and the you know like functioning carriages for tiny little lizards but there's like a point in the vision quest where he sees all the walking cactuses you know doing their thing in his hallucination but then they're really walking sentient cactuses later they work together to like turn turn the the wheel to like do the water it's magic 
on the other side. Screw it. It's magic. I'm in. It's the spirit <laughs> of the West conquers all. It's a weird acid supernatural Western. Just... Oh, another Fury Road thing is the way they hold up the spigot. The, the the valve oh yeah like that like ceremony the where they're doing the dance and then yeah. they all assemble and they like put up the thing to the sun you mean the same way it like truly is the same way they hold up the it's wheels true 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 and then also the obviously the fact that they're waiting for the water that scene yeah. scared just the crap out of me and I, I don't know why the scene where they're like doing the weird like bobbing yeah dance, i don't like know what it was dance. about that I mean, it's a stranger in a strange land. Weird and... culty behavior going on yeah. in, a, in a town full of gross That's probably what it people. is. I'm just scared of cults. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it didn't scare me. I laughed real hard. Just, you know, I probably shouldn't. I guess I didn't laugh super hard, but I chuckled when he punched that woman in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It's because just like she hit him. And then... Yeah, it's like the ritual of only one side of this line gets cracked in the face i thought rango was gonna trade start off it back. every wednesday that's a, good question. that's a good question no it's what it's <laughs> at draw at birth you decide what line you're in <laughs> you flip a coin and you're just screwed for life oh my goodness have you guys seen quick in the dead uh no. yes this movie has a lot of quick in the dead in it too who's in that one Sharon Stone, Gene young hackman. leo but specifically the gene hackman i mean this is all western mayor yeah. There's right. no powerful figure in a western that's not completely evil. But the Gene Hackman mayor in Quick and the Dead is very much like the Ned Beatty turtle in this movie. He's Who got else is in that movie? Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe is in that movie. Like young Russell Crowe, like one of his first roles in a big role. Do we have any final thoughts on Rango? Criminally underrated. Go check it out if you haven't already. Honestly, very apt. Uh, take on that it's it's a little bit forgotten now i remember when it came out i remember anybody that i knew that saw it really liked it and i love it now so really check it out definitely even if you have seen it in the past it's worth it's worth coming back to which is surprising because this is gore vervinsky and he did such a good job on this i don't know why none of that translated to the lone ranger i know <laughs> right is, which I is a, that myself the next movie like immediately afterward and it's just yeah, it not like two years later not good <laughs> Pretty rough. Some you lose some. Pretty rough. Garrett, what do you think? I think it's wonderful. I agree that it's criminally underseen. It's not for kids, which is... Older kids. It's it's for for older kids. It's for, like, tweens, I guess. I I think... You know, I think if you're... 12 and up. Yeah, so tweens. No, man. I Honestly, I think eight to nine and up could handle that. Really? I think if it's, you know, you're watching a family movie, I think there's nothing really in there that couldn't be appreciated by... I guess the younger audience. I guess it takes risks for a contemporary family movie. Where, sure, like, yeah. Movies in the eighties used to like just kill people, whatever. Yeah. But now I think like I mean this movie's almost ten years old, but Right, yeah. For a contemporary animated family film, it takes more risks with its violence and its sexual overtones. Mm-hmm. But let me put it to you this way, Seamus. Is Rango Kuth? Or uncouth. I think unequivocally, Rango is very couth. It's very, very couth. Where's yeah. that criteria? Yeah, I feel like my... it's. I feel like it's uncouth though. Like it's so ugly really? and dirty. But and... I think the execution of it and the the art style of the dirty grime that they go for, I think that is what makes it couth, Garrett. It's couth in its uncouthness, in I its execution so. <laughs> of its uncouthness. I think so. Its aesthetics are very uncouth, maybe? This is a ridiculous <laughs> bit here, but I think the general consensus 
Kuth with an asterisk next to it. <laughs> what about parentheses, unquestion mark, close parentheses, Kuth? <laughs> question mark? <laughs> Two question marks. We're keeping it a mystery, folks. It's, it, you decide. You tell us. Tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Kuth or uncouth? Let's get trending. Let's get trending. Let's stop. Let's stop. I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> Moving on. Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode, which is A Stranger Rides Into Town. This is a common Western trope. It's usually the beginning of whatever Western it's in, where a new stranger, usually a gunslinger or some kind of outlaw, rides into town and stirs up trouble in this rural western community this can also be found in and is probably inspired by a lot of uh samurai films as well of just like you know small town or village uh they get this kind of like godsend of a stranger who was like you know more or less sent there to fix their problems whether that's you know raiders or you know corrupt town government or multiple strangers, in the case of The Seven Samurai or The Magnificent mm-hmm. Seven. It's really found a lot in those two uh, genres of film, because a lot of times these A Man Walks Into Town uh, stories will be wrapped up with he will walk back out of town in that I finished what I came here to do, and I'm going to go on to the next town to be that stranger to, to help with their problems. This trope is relevant in pretty much any movie we talked about during our Rango discussion. So, Back to the Future 3, The Man With No Name trilogy, The Searchers, all the Mad Max movies. Um, oh yeah, definitely. You can also see this trope a little bit in some film noir, which is funny because it actually precedes a lot of the western and samurai stories that we were just referencing often film noir incorporates a reluctant protagonist Mm -hmm. who is a stranger to the events of the film it's one of my favorite tropes just in fiction because i think it lends itself almost instantly to very interesting characters and storytelling Mm -hmm. yeah definitely It, it it allows for that kind of like immediate conflict you get a lot revealed about the stranger through the exposition of the people of the town learning about what's going on and then ultimately you can throw in a lot of fun townsfolk to interact with the stranger if it's like more of an established main character and i think we don't think of it this way because we're so used to this film as its franchise but toy story really has its roots in the structure of a western that yeah. Buzz Lightyear's the new sheriff in town, and he, he rolls in, and he, we've got our odd cast of townspeople that all kind of worship him. Honestly, that's yeah, kind of apt. That. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure they might have had something like that in mind with, you know, Woody the Cowboy. I was going to say, but... considering the fact that that movie opens with a western sequence. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, sometimes those stranger walks into town stories end with a a little bit of a you know a relationship uh friendship buddy situation with one of the more wackier townsfolk, which is you know that feels very Toy Story to me. Yeah, and it doesn't always end with the stranger leaving. Sometimes the stranger no, finds always, belonging and meaning. But it, in my mind, when I think of that, I think of a lot of like the old like me tv western shows. Oh, where it's just like yeah, yeah, weekly. The Virginian and Have Gun Will Travel. Exactly. And... Exactly. It's just mean, the plot of Cars. <laughs> Again, it's the, Again, it's the plot of kind of. When are we going to do Cars 2 on this show? Did we ever do Cars 1 on this show? Am I missing something? All of the Cars. Woof. Planes. And I was about to say Planes? Well, Planes isn't Pixar, but it is in the Cars universe, so that's like a weird... It's like the Venom to the MCU <laughs> of just like, kind of connected, who knows? 
All right. I, I hate that this ended back on cars, but let's just <laughs> let's move on. Now it's time for Hella's Other Podcasters, where we recap the latest episode of The Good Place. Season 4, episode 12, Party. And before we jump into it, I just want to bring up a, a hardened grievance that I have against my other co-hosts. Um, Ricardo isn't here to get the brunt of this. He had to duck out a little earlier, but I never got my formal introduction to the segment like Ricardo got all the way back in episode 1 when I wasn't here for that. Well, Seamus, now you never will. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. This is the second to last episode of the entire series. And, I mean, talking about coming up on our finale here and maybe setting up somehow new things, this this show to me has always lent itself as something that it's ripe for spin-off content or, you know, uh, anything that can continue in the world that they've grown or the, I guess, the afterlife that they've grown at this point, coming down to the end here. They've, like, tweaked and fixed so many things about, like, this big cosmic thing. I also suspect that after the finale, it will be highly rewatchable. I think so, too. I because think... I think they have been building from the very oh, beginning. Yeah. And, yeah, going back, definitely going back, and what, what I suspect, I brought this up last week, is maybe a bad place ploy all along for four straight seasons. I think whatever they give us at the ending finale here, going back to season one before the big reveal is going to be a treat. Well, I have a new theory after this episode oh. about what's going to happen. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So yeah, let's jump in. We start with our soul squad. They're in their hot air balloon, just like they were at the end of last episode. And they've made it to the good place that we see a flying puppy that can talk. And oh, then yeah. it says, welcome. You are now entering and then before it comes up with the good place, it cuts to our title card. I loved that. I was like, I was totally, they, they just keep me on my toes, I guess. And they got me with that. Because it seems like it's been building, like, it yeah. like feels like that's been building to like, that shot from the very exactly. first episode. That The entire structure of the title card and opening credits with the green screen has been just like to pay off this great snap cut to the title. And now they have landed in the good place. There are all kinds of fun, like, lollipops and Smarties and ring pops and stuff that you can experience different things on Earth, like understanding fully the meaning behind Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. That made me laugh a lot. That or was great. headphones that you could put on that let you hear all of the nice things that people have said behind your back. Yeah. yeah. And so that's I pretty funny. That. And of course, Tahani is a, immediately yeah. gravitates to that. And we see the good place committee, like oh, yeah. in their natural element. Paul Shear, that yes. slime ball, love him. Everything's coming up Millhouse. We see all of the, the our humans and Janet go to a party in the afterlife. That's right. They uh they all link arms and walk through a magical door that would have taken them to their ideal party, but since they're together, they get a mishmash of everything. And in the meantime, that uh, good place committee takes Michael to be officially inducted as a good place architect and to, like, start his new life uh, as a good place person. And Chidi is ecstatic to meet Hayapatha, the Greek philosopher, played by Lisa Kudrow. That was great. She's popping up everywhere these days. She was, you know, she had her role in Kimmy Schmidt and yeah. her uh, reoccurring role in BoJack Horseman a couple of years ago. 
she was in Booksmart. She was in Booksmart, and now she's popping up here in The Good Place, and she's still got it. She's still hilarious. She's always funny. I think she yeah. is really the actor that has... I mean, obviously, Jennifer Aniston just won a Golden Globe or whatever, but I think in terms of the Friends actors that I like the most and are still putting out funny content, that Lisa Kudrow is definitely, I think, the most talented of them. Yeah, I think I could agree with that. I'm, I'm sad about my boy. Uh... Matt Perry. Matthew Perry, if you're yeah. listening, we will have you be a permanent co-host. Contact <laughs> us, please. I know I know the odd couple didn't work out. We're here for you. In the next five years, Matthew Perry will start a episode-by-episode episode Friends podcast. In the next five years, Matthew Perry will be in a Star War. I'm calling it here now. Even if it's a faceless cameo like Daniel Craig. Does that not seem where on the trajectory that we're going? Yeah, kind of. Like how... Um... Jenna Fisher and Andrea, what's her name, have the Office podcast, yep, the Office Ladies, it, and then they did like obviously West Wing Weekly was like the first one that really did that. And honestly, though, I'd love to hear Matthew Perry talk about that because he has one of the darkest yes. pasts and lives to be but, like associated with a famous sitcom. I wouldn't really want to rewatch Friends though. I I I've probably seen him enough where I could just listen to a That's podcast. That's true. I guess they're like, just ingrained in our cultural yeah, exactly. identity. It's like oh, turkey on a head, whatever. Sure. But Lisa Kudrow is really funny. <laughs> anyway, and... the good place. Yeah, she's a historically significant Greek philosopher in a Jaguars jersey because yeah. Jason's influence on this party is heavy. It's very funny. We we got a couple of uh, moments these last couple episodes with Chidi, like kind of flipping out, like squealing, mm-hmm. and uh, I love that. He's, He's good of, at it. He is very good at it. I think they found that out too late in the filming of the show, so they're trying to throw him in a lot at the end here. But I don't mind. Neither do I. I I think it's it's very. It I, I think weirdly enough that sh- to me shows a lot of his character growth instead of like groaning in stomach pain he's just like giddy and happy now yeah that's a really good observation thank you but back with michael he's been <laughs> shanghaied into becoming the leader of the good place yeah he's signed binding documents and donned a robe to and a, a medal and a, a rainbow medal, medal to officially become not only part of the management but to be completely in charge of the good place and the rainbow medal made me think about the covenant like god's covenant with noah the idea of like god will never flood the earth again and that's the promise and like that there is serenity and peace on the horizon and i think the medal is like an important factor we'll talk about that when we get to the end of this episode right so yeah they they pretty much as as good place committee as they are you know they've been like notorious for being like too nice to a fault they just kind of abandoned him there yep absolutely and that's because we get a, a good reveal from lisa kudrow that the good place is not all it's chalked up to be because with eternity in front of you nothing is special anymore and you just become like a weird wally drone yeah, there, there's a, there's a couple good parts where they talk to other good place residents and they're just like monotone, fried brain zombies. They're just like, yeah, we have constant orgasms. It's great, but like stone faced, mm-hmm. nothing to do but like be a a walking slab. That pretty much takes us to like Michael and the Soul Squad brainstorming what yeah. to do. Once again, fixing yet another facet of the eternal afterlife in i mean kind of a pretty great way i actually thought that the ending finale was gonna pick up from them trying to fix the ultimate good place that's what i had thought too but they they wrap it up in this episode i will say 
this is the first time on this last season that I felt like they could have benefited from a couple more episodes with this storyline. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I would have liked to see maybe a full episode where everything seems fine, kind of like the first episode of the show. Right, yeah. And then at the very end, the reveal That's that there's something That's when like, thank God you're here. Everything is terrible. And then you get a couple episodes of them trying to figure it out, and... Well, I mean, that's why I thought the, you know, feature-length finale would have been that, like, ultimate puzzle of how do you fix Paradise, but I don't know. I think we're... I I don't know really what to expect from the finale. (laughs) Me too. I feel like We're in the same boat that we were in last week. We say this every week of just, like, they keep setting up things that we think are, like, the ultimate challenge and then squashing them in an episode or two so that we're left with absolutely really nothing to bank on for the last episode and so what their ultimate decision is they reflect back to when michael went through his midlife crisis <laughs> love and those episodes or that episode eleanor said to him then which he says back to her now humans are always a little bit sad because they know that they're going to die but that's what gives life meaning and it is their realization that in order to make the good place special, it can't be eternal. You have to have the option to walk through a door into sweet oblivion. Which, you know, kind of like is they give this big presentation to Lisa Kudrow and everyone else in the in the good place. And they, they kind of explain that out. And it's met with wild applause mm-hmm. and cheering. They hit a home run right off the bat in the good place and like fix the biggest problem of it's not like anybody has to go at any certain time but it's just having the vague option of being able to end everything forever mm-hmm. yeah feeds right back into the good place in the end michael recreates the old houses from the neighborhood and he's back wearing his like normal like little bow tie and suit right but he still has his rainbow medal on which i think is important symbolism again i really do think it harkens back to like the covenant yeah, I and mean, that could definitely be a big factor on that. The idea of, like, Michael is God now. For wow, the afterlife, yeah. at least. He, he is. He's, like, the... He's in charge. Wow. He's the Sean, but for the good place. I, I I honestly thought that might have gone to one of the humans. I guess we still have the last episode here. Yeah, but... we, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but... Oh my god. Michael is God and Sean is the devil. Yeah, they've kind of like stumbled backwards into a more traditional mm-hmm. view of the afterlife that is kind of like a, a Christian thing. But also kind of Buddhist with Yeah, like with hell. the re- or the Hell is like a weird Buddhist purgatory thing, and then the good place is more of like a Judeo Christian heaven. It works on paper a lot. They have the little loopholes like the oblivion door and yeah. the, the structure that they've built to to separate it from the BS stuff that they've been dealing with before. And then we get the simultaneously immensely touching and also really nerve wracking final scene where I was really afraid something was going to go wrong. Yeah, me too, kind of. But it was really touching and a really great place for these characters. And honestly, I'm shocked that this was not the finale of Chidi and Eleanor sitting on their back porch looking out over a gorgeous landscape. And Chidi saying, the real gift of the good place is that it's not a place at all, is that it's time. As much time as you want to spend with the people that you love. Yeah, and then it just ends on that vista of, like, a golden sunset over paradise. And, like you said, I was waiting for, like, the sun to explode or, like, mm-hmm. something horrible to, like, break the illusion. Or, but... like, like a demon take off the cheaty suit or something yeah. awful. Like... Oh, God, yeah. 
I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have been like a complete gut punch because each episode that Chidi and Eleanor like get closer I feel so good because those characters have you know been through a lot together and they deserve each other to be happy and I, I do feel like it might be some trickery like that in the finale episode where it's a suit or it's been the bad place all along or a theory that I've been rocking around with I might have said it on the podcast already is that they're in their own test that they designed and that they weren't the original people to do that at all but that's the extent of how you get better well i'm afraid that after introducing the oblivion door that i'm gonna have to watch the characters walk into oblivion and cease existing i'm gonna give you the real ending of the good place right now if you don't mind it's gonna be heartbreaking and it's gonna be michael i think taking the door and leaving Eleanor or Chidi in charge in his stead after a long, like, an eternity of events in this movie that we're going to watch. It's going to be, like, his final goodbye, I think. And it's going to be goddamn so sad. Yeah, somebody's going into that Oblivion door, and it's going to be awful. Yeah. Or, all, like you said, it could be all of them. It's like they've been friends for eternity, did everything together, and they're like... like Toy Story 3 yeah, and the exactly. Furnace, Arm in like... arm, walking into nothingness, and then they all show up in the medium place together. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. You but... think Mindy's going to show up? Maybe. That's a good question. Because she's not really gotten a proper... Send off. Send off the way that, like, Vicky and Sean and the judge all have. That's true. I don't know. I, I hope we see her. I thought she was very funny, where she's constantly talking about masturbating and cocaine. And then, like... Cannibal Run 2. Well, I guess she got... She's got Derek. Oh, yeah. Never mind. She got a great edit. She's with Derek. But, I mean, like, they could still have a payoff they, of some kind. They could, they could make it to the last hurrah. They bring back all the fun, reoccurring characters into one last afterlife party. Like the Simpsons movie? <laughs> yeah, like the Simpsons... Who didn't love the Simpsons movie? All right, I think that about wraps us up for this episode of Hellos Other Podcasters. So we will see you next week for the finale. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Now it's time to save the rec center. Uh, rec center is in Infinity Train. Oh my god, Infinity Train. Uh, it just wrapped up its second, I guess you'd call it a season. It's an anthology series. Okay. So Book two is phenomenal. I think it's just a great piece of sci-fi television it's very stephen king kind of stranger things like it's contemporary it's not set in the 80s but it uses a lot of synth music so that's uh very specifically supposed to like reference like john carpenter and stuff very nice that sounds like a lot of fun you that that's a uh, animated on what network that is a anthology miniseries on cartoon network i'm sure we'll end up doing an episode on it because, yeah, you, you pitched me the Infinity Train just as a personal rec center not too long ago, and it, it, I don't know, the concept sounds pretty wild. It sounds like something I'm into. Seamus, what do you got? I'm going to touch on a very specific older video game that I've been obsessing about these days. Uh, for anybody that has a PS2, or uh, I guess a PS Vita if you're a... Scumbag. Yeah, scumbag <laughs> like me who still tries to keep that thing going. Uh, Persona for or Persona 4 Golden on the Vita. Weird Japanese RPG stage dungeon crawler with a lot of strange surrealist elements. You're a high school student and you have to like keep up on studying and like doing tests at school in this weird way. Bizarre. It's super bizarre. It's like the weird it's like you have to maintain your daily life while also fighting 
shadow monsters in a different realm that you go through a television to get to. This was like a Buffy video game or something, basically. It's, it's <laughs> real weird. It's awesome. It's cheap and old. Uh, check it out. The Persona 5 is a big popular thing now that came out only a couple of years ago on the PS4, but I don't know. Go back, check out the older ones. It's it's real weird and fantastic. What if I haven't played Personas one through three? Good question, because I actually forgot to bring that up. It's it's almost uh, Final Fantasy style, where it's it is a it's a series made by the same team with uh, some elements that are uh, picked out to be a through line, but it's completely independent stories through each one of the series, so you can really just jump in anywhere. Awesome. What do you got, Garrett? I'm going to recommend The Lighthouse. I just watched it. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. It just came out on home video and Blu-ray and everything. I was really impressed with it. It's super well made. It's gorgeous. It's weird. I can't wait to unpack it more. Like, I can't wait to watch it again because it's just so out there. It is not for everybody (laughs) because it's weird, like, really weird and gross and strangely violent i really want to see the lighthouse if i'm being honest i i think i might have brought it up last week i i just watched the witch which is uh same guy same guy robert eggers robert eggers's debut and that blew me out of the water i have been hearing nothing but amazing things about the lighthouse it's a little bit 2001 in that most of it, I just don't even know what to do with. <laughs> like, I think, I think I'm excited to revisit it. So maybe, maybe do it maybe for you, the pod yeah, or something. I, yeah. I've when been... Robert Eggers, he's gonna get like Rob, some... come on the show, buddy. <laughs> well, he's gonna get some kind of big, big. Oh, he's gonna get a big property. Thing, I'm sure. Well, not a property necessarily, but like Bloomhouse or like obviously A24 has been backing his mm-hmm. last couple movies, but I think Bloomhouse or even like a Universal. Magnolia is still around. They do more lower. Oh, budget that's things, true. Don't they? I think they might approach him and give him more of a budget. That, that'd now, be interesting. His last two movies are critically acclaimed, and The Lighthouse made a fair bit of money. The one big uh, point of The Lighthouse that gets me excited is that it's it's filmed all on like ancient film stock. I don't know what the yes. actual story of that. They like found a big stock of this, and old you can black tell and white it is, film. It's so gorgeous looking like that i saw the trailer and it got me like excited just looking at how isn't the whole right me if i'm wrong isn't the whole movie like in that like frame size it's very small yeah it's it's uh, i don't even think it's four three i think it's literally a square frame yeah it's it's the aspect ratio is like as old school as you can get because i mean they you know they went as old school as they could in the filming and from what i've seen the small bits of footage visually it looks like nothing i've ever seen in you know, modern lenses. Yeah, you need to check it out, Seamus. All right, and that's our show, everybody. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. We ride!